Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Mine? 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 Years ago, I went to the movie theater to see the movie Finding Nemo with some friends of mine. Some of the memorable scenes in that movie involved a flock of seagulls who hung around on the docks. Whenever something, particularly something edible, would land there, the entire flock would freeze. And then one would shout, mine? Followed by the others in turn, mine, mine, mine? My friends and I rolled over with laughter. It was so perfectly accurate. It was like we suddenly learned exactly what all those seagulls at the beach had been saying all those years. It also reminded one of a room full of four-year-olds, not unlike the movie theater in which my friends and I sat. And so, for us, it became a bit of a running gag. For the next couple of months, placing food on a table in front of us, or just the group of us going to coffee hour, would lead us to chime into a chorus of, mine, 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 and peals of laughter. I admit it, my friends and I are easily amused. 
We were amused just like uh, we were amused by ourselves just as we were in the movies when we laughed and laughed at the antics of se the seagulls ducking and dodging and trying to be the first to grab the tasty morsel on the dock and keep it. But I get the feeling that Jesus isn't laughing. The seagulls have a lot in common with today's parable and the requests that preceded it. Each of these may seem like an everyday scene, not at all out of the ordinary. But for Jesus, they reflect a set of priorities, values that are not God's values. Let's start with the man in the crowd, the one who calls out to Jesus. His seems like an ordinary request. Honestly, even today, this is the stuff that keeps lots and lawyers and arbitrators busy. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. We get no context for the request. It comes in the middle of a day when Jesus has been teaching. First, he teaches the disciples how to pray, as we heard last week. And then, as a crowd gathers over the course of hours, he starts to warn them about listening to the scribes and the Pharisees and setting the record straight. After this time, then, the unnamed man speaks to Jesus. Now, how you picture this scene in your mind will probably depend largely on your own life experience. If you were, perhaps, the younger sibling in your family, you may be inclined to side with the man, assumed, assuming that he is owed something, that his brother was clearly the favorite child, or that the man has been cheated somehow. If you had a different family dynamic, you may be more inclined to view his claim with skepticism wondering if he had any right to the inheritance after all, or suspecting that maybe he had distanced himself from his family until now, when there was something to be gained. No matter what, we may wonder what motivated the request. Why is this man calling out to Jesus instead of some other authority? Is he calling out of desperation because other courts have already turned him down and he hopes that Jesus will give him a fair hearing? Or is he calling out of boldness because he believes that Jesus, so opposed to the scribes and Pharisees, will be automatically biased in his favor? Jesus would not know the facts of the case coming from out of town. Is that an advantage here? No matter, his request comes out of the blue. Jesus hadn't set himself up to hear cases, and nothing that he had said that day makes this particular request an appropriate one. Like the seagulls, this man has seen something that he wants. And like the seagulls, he has claimed it loudly and perhaps inappropriately. 
Nobody liked to air family disputes in public, especially not in Jesus' time. It's important to consider that this man might not have had any actual right to this inheritance. And in any case, it's not at all clear that he needed it. Unlike the other people who call out to, go- to Jesus for justice in the Gospels, this man is not described as poor or crippled or destitute. We have every reason to believe that he can work, that he can eat, but he wants more. He wants what his brother has, and so he cries in a loud voice, Mine. Jesus isn't impressed. And he tries to warn the man about the path that he has chosen by telling him the parable. But for us listening today, the parable may seem as everyday and unobjectionable as the man's request for the inheritance did. In the parable, we are told a man's land produces abundantly. And so the man makes what we today would think is a wise business decision. He tries to protect his goods, to save them for a rainy day. In the United States in 2016, when everybody just uses credit to get whatever they want, the man's impulse to save seems downright commendable. And yet, Jesus takes issue with it. Why? It is because the man has assumed, just as the brother had, just as the seagulls had, he has assumed that something is his just because he can see it and he can use it. And while in the back of our minds we might think, well, this man worked hard on his farm to raise all those crops, surely he deserves them. The fact is that Jesus leaves this a little bit ambiguous. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, he says. Not the rich man's efforts produced abundantly. Listening to Jesus tell this parable, you might almost get the impression that the grain and produce just appeared overnight. To those of us with gardens or farm experience, we know that fresh fruit and vegetables don't just show up. It takes work. Work to clear the fields, to plant the seeds, to weed enough to keep the young plants from being strangled or starved of sunlight. My guess is that the rich man didn't do any of those things. He had hired help. Plants need a little bit more than just elbow grease, too. They need just the right environment. They need sunlight and rain, but not so much that it floods or scorches, and please, no harsh winds or tornadoes. These come from God. No matter how much, the, how rich the man was, he couldn't buy his own light or rain. But when the grain is harvested and the carts full of fruit and vegetables come in from the field, the man does not pause to give thanks to God 
or even acknowledge all the work of the farmhands. He sees the mounds of food coming toward him and he says, mine? To Jesus, both the rich man in the parable and the man who asks about his inheritance, they're all like seagulls, rushing to claim loudly something which they had not earned. But that's not the only problem. In the movie, the seagulls engage in daring air acrobatics, swooping down and ducking through tight spaces in order to retrieve and hang on to their prizes. It is a bit of brilliant cartoon choreography. But as anyone who has ever seen seagulls at the beach knows, what seagulls really do is fight with beaks and pecking when the man in the crowd shouts to Jesus, you get the impression that he is fighting too. And that this grievance has perhaps dominated his life so much that he can't focus on anything else. Maybe he can't even talk to his brother or visit his family. He has long since forgotten the good times that they shared growing up, the holidays, the times that his brother helped him do chores. He doesn't have time to see the other blessings in his life today. All he can think of is my brother, the guy who is keeping my inheritance. The rich man in the parable has lost focus too. All he can think of is how do I keep this bounty? Not how do I share it with those who help produce it? Certainly not, how do I thank God? Or, is there anyone in this community who could use some of this too? The man has more food than he will e be able to eat by himself for years. He perhaps wisely thinks to save some of it in case of a bad year to come. But he already has that. Despite what he says, he does have storage, storage which was more than sufficient in the years past. What he needs is a place to store all. But he does, and so he th wants to save for bad years. But he does not think at all of those who are having bad years now, the widows, the orphans, the destitute. He does not think at all of those who helped him gain this bounty, his servants and God. He builds buildings to keep his new stuff safe, but what he's really doing is building walls between himself and his community, and between himself and God. Where have we built those walls and destroyed those relationships? I suspect that for some of us, the scene of the siblings squabbling over an inheritance hits a little too close to home. For others, perhaps, the walls are more subtle. They begin with the delusion of the man in the parable that what we have is solely the result of our own efforts. It so rarely is. 
When we compare our lives to those in the developing world, we suddenly realize the extent to which this is true. We are, each and every one of us, the product of myriad influences beyond our control. Family background and support for some, the opportunity for education for others, Everywhere, there is infrastructure and stability which helps us in our lives and vocations. And yes, our own hard work contributes to all of that, but the blessings of God do too. God has brought each of us to this place, with this community, with this support, and with all the challenges that our communities face. I suspect that many of you are thinking, in a world filled with seagulls, don't we have to act like seagulls too? But I think that there are alternatives out there. They are not as loud and noisy as the seagulls, but then you really wouldn't expect them to be. They make news sometimes. You hear the stories on TV of elderly people in ramshackle houses who unexpectedly donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to universities they never attended because they believe that others should have the opportunity for an education. You hear the stories of families who open their homes to foster children or refugees because they believe that everyone should have a safe place to lie down at night. But here's one of my favorite stories of all. It's the story of Aaron Feuerstein, the former CEO of Malden Mills, the company that invented Polartec fleece outerwear. His family had owned that factory in Malden, Massachusetts for generations before that he inherited it and before the fleece made it unexpectedly profitable. And then in 1995, a boiler blew in the old factory and the subsequent fire destroyed the entire plant. Rather than use that as an excuse to outsource the company as most other textile factories in Massachusetts had done decades before, Feuerstein vowed to rebuild in Malden. And more to the point, he chose to continue to pay all 3,000 of his workers while the factory was being rebuilt, even though they had no way of doing their jobs during that time. They got their regular compensation and benefits thanks to a combination of insurance money and Feuerstein's own resources. When outsiders remarked at this rather odd business practice, Feuerstein, an Orthodox Jew who had graduated from Yeshiva University, explained that because of his understanding of Jewish law, the Talmud, he could not have done otherwise. I have a responsibility to the worker, both blue collar and white collar, he said. I have an equal responsibility to the community it would have been unconscionable to put 3,000 people on the streets and deliver a death blow to the cities of Lawrence and Methuen.
Maybe on paper our company is worthless to Wall Street, but I tell you, it is worth more. I should tell you, before you all Google it and tell me yourselves, that to Wall Street, this story does not have a happy ending. Malden Mills declared bankruptcy a few years after this brave act, and Furstein lost his job in the restructuring. By that time, however, he was 80 years old. He could retire and live comfortably, and did, with his values intact. He had depleted his storehouse of millions of dollars, but he had preserved his community. And while others might have shouted, mine, he viewed the community and the factory as ours. Serious biblical scholars are not going to tell you that it's always easy to follow Jesus. It involves risk and courage and faith. Following Jesus will not make you instantly a multimillionaire. It will not make you popular, least of all with the wealthy and the powerful. But then, Jesus wasn't particularly popular with the wealthy and powerful in his lifetime either. And so as we head out of these doors and enter our lives this and every week, we face choices. Do we want to rely on ourselves and our own resourcefulness? Do we want to spend our lives looking for every opportunity and viewing everyone we see as a competitor, grabbing and snarling and shouting like seagulls? Or do we want to have quiet faith in God and in our relationships? Do we dare to live lives of gratitude and generosity in a world that sometimes won't understand it or may even mock us for it? Can we do the right thing, even when it seems scary or just plain weird? Jesus would say, when you have the choice, don't shout, mine. Don't be a seagull. Amen.